Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to the show. I'm really glad you could join me because we get the chance to speak with Rob Lawrence, who recently turned 70 and is retiring in a few days. So in this interview, it was a chance for him to reflect about his life, his journey, what he's learned, and a little bit about his hopes for the future. Be sure to check out the other short little episode, which has his 20 life lessons as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And don't forget that this is episode 187, so there's a lot of content in the back catalog. And there's information at theseeds.nz. Now let's get straight into this interview with Rob. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Rob Lawrence to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Now, the funny thing about this is that we've known each other a very long time. Can you describe the first time that we met? June 1976, Miami General Hospital, maternity ward, can't remember the number. Looking across and the nurse holding up your foot and saying, check this out. I think I can safely say that I was the first person outside the immediate team and obviously your parents that saw you. So that's always been a story that we've shared, but I've known you your whole life. I know. That's the amazing thing. Like there's very few people in my life today who have known me, apart from my parents, you yes. know, who've yeah. actually known me as a newborn. Like I think apart from them, you're pretty much it. It is, and that kind of adds a bit of magic. And we're going to get into some of that. We won't go into yeah. all of it, yeah, but yeah. we will get into some of it. But I just wanted to make the point so that people listening know, because many people I interview, I have just met them, right. or you know, right. I've found out about them, or we're doing a Zoom call. We've never yeah. actually met in person. Well, the reason I mentioned the, the kind of back and forth stuff is that you're the closest thing that we have to family here in New Zealand, mm. uh, other than you know our children and, and grandchildren now. But, um, you know, that, and, and that's important when you live so far away yeah. uh, to be able to have that kind of connective route back to the points of origin, as, if, if it, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And there, it's like the compass, isn't it? There's yeah. certain things that just never change. And that story that you told at the start, you know, that's just part of my own history as well as yeah. your history. So yeah. what I would love to find out is you've got... Right, as we're recording this, you have five working days left, right? Right, five days. The 30th of June ends my employment um, as a regional business partner, uh, Callahan, a regional business partner, and an employee of the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And so what I'm really curious to find out from you is some insights over, you know, your working life. And we've recorded another very short snippet, which will have 20 of your thoughts about yep. that. Yep. But also, I'd love to hear a bit of your life story, and we can just weave in a bit of the things that you've learned and observed as well. Okay. Um, so what we'll do on on the podcast, what we do is we go right back in time, we find out about a person's origins, where they're from, yep. and then we work out sort of what they're doing today. And, and in your case, this is a unique moment to reflect. Yeah, um, it is. And I think, yeah, that's really special. And I know my parents are going to enjoy listening to this, yeah. <laughs> to hear your well, perspective. It's and been a really interesting time to be entering this phase of life with mm. um, the covert lockdown, uh, being, you know, I'm 70 years old as of last November, so I'm in a vulnerable age group, and that kind of causes you worry, a bit of a worry. Um, it it And then you get these ups and downs of, Oh, I'm excited about the next stage, and then I'm scared. So, but I'm I'm in a comfortable spot now, and and I started. I made this decision to retire, um, probably late last year, Novemberish. Mm-hmm. Can you describe a little bit about where you were from? Well, I was born in Michigan, uh, November twenty first, nineteen forty nine, mm-hmm. in a town called Ypsilanti, which is um, in southeast Michigan. My father was. Um, University of Michigan graduate, PhD. Uh, we did a lot of work. He's a wildlife biologist. Um, and we used to go um, oh, up to the Upper Peninsula. You know, I, have a, I suppose I add in there that I have a sister also born in Michigan and one brother was born in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then two more came along when we moved west. 
but in those early days in Michigan, uh, we used to go up to the Upper Peninsula, which is a really wilderness, still kind of a wilderness area. Mm. Um, they go across the Straits of Mackinac, and I can remember the seeing, and this is four years old, I've got vivid memories of that uh, time, but seeing the pillars for the Straits of Mackinac Bridge being put in now that you can drive across. And we go into a place called Camp Philip Roth, which is part of the University of Michigan, on a place called Golden Lake. And you can remember, I still have memories of the loons at night and going down to the dump and turning the uh, headlights off and then going in and, and then turning the headlights on watching the bears. And my father was working on a, a, a PhD with stream beavers. So as a four-year-old, I and I have his thesis, and I can't v- vouch that I went inside every one, but he opened up 212 beaver lodges to get the nesting material to check for ectoparasites. And because I was a small kid, I went inside several, you know, tens of beaver lodges to right. gather the nesting material. Yeah. Obviously, the beavers would, would disappear because you'd, you, but, but it was a small hole that you had to build and then you could fill it back up and beavers as they are would repair that. So it was about five, Dad got a job with Warehouser Company in Centralia, Washington, mm. which meant that we had to do the migration in the old 54 Plymouth with a rusty hole in the floor that we dropped things as we went west. <laughs> and Dad never, well, I-90 wasn't even built then, I don't think, but, but, but Dad had a tendency, uh, which we did too, to go the back roads. So through Glacier National Park and through various places, because my mother was interested in uh, in, in, in uh, pioneer things, so parts of the Oregon Trail and stopping at Scott's Bluff and uh, all those various things moving moving west along the Oregon Trail and then making it to Centralia. And I basically grew up in Centralia, Washington, which is um, a small what was at that point 10,000 town, mm-hmm. uh, the Twin Cities. Um, and it so-, so it sounds like your parents were quite focused on the outdoors and oh, the natural yeah. world. You know, yeah. your father's doing his PhD in beavers. Like, I've, I've not heard of that, you know, as a, as a subject area. And that's interesting to me because that's sort of a, that's where your career headed into, isn't it? In yeah, I've always of- had an interest in wildlife and and he 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 as a young boy used to keep hawks so as i grew up we'd go to eastern oregon you can't or eastern washington sorry prosser that area can't do this now because of the the permitting but we used to find nests and uh, bring back kestrels and when i was 12 i had a pair of kestrels trained to the whistle we had burrowing owls we had magpies we had rabbits we always had those kind of bits and pieces that wow. you'd find and and um it sounds like almost a dr doolittle sort of it, home of in a, of in a way and and, and as the eldest of five when i got you know i would often go out and be tally board recorder for his data because mm-hmm. he was doing lots of um of wildlife um damage um warehouser was was a a very large forest products company, logging company. Mm-hmm. And I got to see some pretty amazing sights and scenery uh, in the St. Helens Plantation, for example, to watch. An, and this is a sad kind of thing, but to watch an old growth Douglas fir get logged, I can still feel and remember the sadness of watching that big tree and hearing the whoosh, hmm. thud and it moved up. And this is a tree that's you know, 1.8 meters in diameter at the base, or even probably a little bit bigger, you know, an original old growth fir. Mm. And you don't see much of those. And then, of course, Mount St. Helens came along in 1980 and blew a lot of that stuff away, um, as Mm. it were. Um, So your childhood, it sounds like the outdoors was a really big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then scouting. uh, Dad was a scout leader, and we always had camping trips mm-hmm. um, with the family and camping trips with the scouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent a lot of time um, in the Olympic Peninsula, mm-hmm. Ozette, um, I think Canada. a lot of people who have, haven't been to the States as well, they, they might have a perception that it's kind of like 
Los Angeles or New York, but actually the area you're describing, it's similar to New Zealand in many very, ways, isn't it? Very much. A little bit further um, where, where we when, when we were living in Oregon, we're almost exactly on the antecedent kind of latitude. Right. Mm-hmm. But Washington's a little bit further north. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in those days, you used to get real winters, um, you know, with, I can remember... Lot in lots of snow, and then even from the Midwest, I can remember my mother hitting me in the mouth with a snowball, <laughs> and, and thinking I was going to die. <laughs> and did you know? Did you have a? I can kind of guess the answer here, but did, was there an area that you enjoyed studying in high school, or you know that time of like bring us up to that age? Yeah, well, back did to you know? back to high school. I thought I would. Um, I thought I'd be real interested in oceanography. Um, and 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 things in the sea, um, and one of my regrets from and, and it took kind of bending towards that kind of science towards the, the area, um, and was always interested in archaeology as well. Mm. Uh, and again, that comes from my mother with the Indian Native American um, uh, exposure, etc. And I, one of my frustrations from um, uh, high school was dropping out of the organic chemistry and this came back to haunt me and i remember mr richardson long gone now but sitting me down and saying you should never quit and you'll regret that so high school bit of junior college i aced chemistry in junior college i would go to the university of washington and my first quarter there was organic chemistry (laughs) and it it I hadn't learned that lesson, and I really, I got a D, the first D that I'd gotten, and I had to reevaluate, um, and when, you know, first quarter away from home, you kind of go a little bit crazy, so I spent probably a bit more time doing other things than studying, so it's, again, um, a learning curve, but I opted then that I would go to anthropology, archaeology, with a focus on vertebrate paleontology, which gets you back to the animal stuff. It's just bones instead of living stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what my, my academic background was. Uh, I lined up twice for graduate school, once at Texas A&M and once at WSU. Um, and it was an interesting time to be in college. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, set the, set the scene for us in terms yep. of what years are we talking well, about. Well, it, it, I graduated from high school in 1968, mm-hmm. um, and Vietnam War was on. Uh, I graduated from college in 1972. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was a time of, you know, when Nixon bombed Cambodia in 1970, Kent State, 1968, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, a real tumultuous time, mm-hmm. lots and lots of radical change. Um, I remember when when... Nixon bombed Cambodia in, 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 in 70, that basically the university shut down. Mm. And similar to what the race things have done recently, you know, I-5 was shut down, which is I-5 is a major interstate through Seattle. Mm. Um, so it was a really interesting time. Um, and, and we all, when, when the draft came in, we had a big lottery. Mm. And, and we put in $10, and $10 in 1968 was a lot of money. And the last year in college, I put myself up for um, 1A, knowing I still would be able to finish the school year, even if I were drafted. Mm-hmm. But at that time, in 72, it, it, it was ramping down. Right. Um, but I'm probably on some FBI file for writing letters to Nixon, asking him to resign for his activities. <laughs> so this was a tumultuous oh. time, wasn't it, of, of all different types, because we haven't even talked about Woodstock and the, the different, you know, expression yeah, coming well, out in different ways, right? Woodstock, I went to the University of Calgary, and I never really got confronted with the issue of if I was going to be drafted, mm-hmm. would I go? Right. And I had, my father was... Um, 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 a captain in the army and in one of those kind of, uh, I think it was the 10th Mountain Division, which kind of became one of those ranger kind of, mm. you know, Delta kind of force. And he spent a lot of time in the Philippines behind Japanese lines. And and he always told me that the military was a great place to show you what you didn't want to do. 
Mm. I mean, he 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 never. I think he, I think he never shot his pistol, uh, but he was definitely running around being chased by the Japanese mm. uh, in in a war situation. He was a captain of men in that situation. He was a captain of industry. Um, I got my loud voice from him. Um, <laughs> And a few other bits that are probably not as good, but we had a real conflict about that, and and I, it never got tested. Mm. But I always, I have this, even to this day, still have a pang of guilt why I was able to avoid going into that scenario, mm. um, and it really, it. It, it really changed my focus. Um, I've never voted Republican, <laughs> but I've, I, you know, I opposed the war in Vietnam. I opposed the the, the ninety three war in the Middle East, mm-hmm. the two thousand three war. Um, it, I've I've not been a fan of military incursions. And mm-hmm. so let's make this personal for you as a twenty one year old, twenty two year old. You know, you there is the potential that you will be going. Could be going, yeah. Yeah. How do you think that changes your mindset or how you approach life itself? In the sense of you, you probably have friends who were who did go. We and, had we had you know. one, and I've still connected with him. I can say that I don't know anybody that that died uh, from my high school class. It, it's you talk about and you think, well, I'll go to Canada, but without realizing the implications of what that would have made mm. later in life. Yeah. And and then the circumstances came that I I I served my year of availability mm-hmm. and never got drafted and then went into 1H right. and then pursued you know a career but it did have an impact I think on me because I really wasn't settled on what I wasn't I mean I didn't grow up to be Indiana Jones kind of thing from an archaeological point of view or um, you know um, uh, paleontologist is that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, I, I, I kind of looked at you know opportunities and I really appreciate that for about my my parents they presented us with opportunities mm-hmm. and some of those opportunities just led to different things mm-hmm. and you always try to work hard you always try to do the best thing and you earn your way through those opportunities mm-hmm. so did I regret not going to graduate school uh, I was going to go in archaeology uh, no, I was tired of school. I went to Arkansas. <laughs> and I still have the headline when Nixon resigned in 74. I still have it at home, actually, in Darfield. And and, and, and I just went, yes, there is justice. <laughs> so talk us through the next few years, and I'm keen to know, well, just from my own personal perspective, yeah. when you met my father, because you ended up working quite closely with him um, raising shrimp, I think, and and well, prawns. Actually, and before that, it was was salmon. Okay, and and so I, do you remember? So I, yeah. Do you remember meeting him? And yep. or, yeah, how did that come about? Well, I was working in Arkansas, yep. and again, it, it was an opportunity that Dad created because I went down to work with uh, at the Forest Research Center in Arkansas and putting s- fertilizer plots in around all over mm-hmm. Southern Arkansas. And getting lost in Oklahoma and and meeting, you know, we were always scared to death. We'd run across somebody still down in there. And uh, but I had an opportunity to come west again, again to work in new business opportunity, and again in pen culture at at Henderson Inlet in uh, near Olympia, Washington. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure Norm thought, oh, here's a you know, um, a mucky muck in the um, you know, the son of a senior um, research center operator, you know, it's going to be, you know. <laughs> but so out in Henderson Inlet, which is on a log dump uh, where they were still rafting logs and um, rafting logs that would go up to the mills, you know, so they'd bring them up by the railway, drop them in the Puget Sound and then run them up. And we put in some experimental fish pens there with in cooperation with the University of Washington. And that is when I first met Norm and Marion. Mm. And we worked there um, for, uh, I think that was September of 73. Right. No, 74 it would have been because Nixon resigned in 74. So back to the West Coast and worked up there. And then there was a chance to do some preliminary work on hatchery design. So up to Everett and working in, we had a, a, uh, some systems set up. And, and it was aquaculture in those days, and even continuing on into New Zealand uh, later, was really riding your bicycle and building at the same time. Mm. 
And uh, and then there was a chance, and Norm had taken a job. Norm and Marianne had cha- taken a job in Homestead, Florida, well, living in Miami, but mm-hmm. a shrimp culture. So we were in this new business group that was a, it was experimenting with different types of business diversification mm-hmm. in aquaculture. So here I come back to an interest in marine, you know, marine's um, uh, biology, but from a practical, more applied method of fish culture mm-hmm. and whether it would be crustaceans we were growing macrobrachium um, rosenbergi which is a delectable freshwater um, uh, crustacean that comes originally from southeast asia and was florida warm enough to grow these things and that's what we were all about so right. i was growing out with that and again we had all kinds of problems with birds and otters and <laughs> alligators and i remember you couldn't take commercial vehicles to the everglades park but i caught the family of otter by turning the culvert into a giant have a heart life trap catching the whole family and taking them out to the everglades and turning them loose because i didn't want to kill them <laughs> and the same thing with three alligators and the biggest one was about one and a half meters so it was almost as big as me and he stepped on it with bare feet in the shrimp pond, and he had to catch the dead gum thing and <laughs> bind up his jaw and put him in the truck and take him out. And the Everglades were great. It, Florida was great. Summertime, it was diving in the Keys with Bob Thompson, hmm. which I, you, you may recall that name. I do, yeah. And, and he was down there as well. So a group of us went down. And then in the wintertime, it was out into the Everglades. Hmm. And this is before Hurricane Andrew in 92 that released all the snakes that have decimated that environment now. But anyway, um, um, there, again, I think three years there, I met my wife, Judy, and we got married there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Norm had moved back. Norm and Marion had moved back. You had been born mm-hmm. uh, before Natalie, your sister, and, and out to the West Coast. Norm had gotten involved in the hatchery development at Springfield and Yaquina Bay, mm-hmm. Newport, Oregon. And we were looking at the concept of ocean ranching. Salmon have this ability to return to where they uh, emerge from the gravel as an alevin and a fry and then migrate out. They're called an anadromous fish, which means they spend their life in the, in the uh, saltwater, mm-hmm. but they come back to freshwater to, to spawn and breed. Mm-hmm. And then in the case of Pacific salmon, they basically die, and then body nu- the nutrients from the bodies replenish the um, food supply for that whole food chain. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there are six species of Pacific salmon we were interested in growing um, uh, three of them, coho salmon or silver, mm-hmm. chinook salmon or king, uh, which is also the quinnet, which is also the species that uh, New Zealand has, and then tried some chum salmon. Yeah. It's and, interesting as well, because this is like a subculture of subcultures, isn't it? Like yeah. it's very specific and very specialized. Specific. Yep. And, and people don't know this, but my dad's a marine biologist, and this was his area that he was carving out Absolutely. expertise in is how can we grow these salmon And um, the fascinating thing is because Warehouser Corporation, not many people in New Zealand maybe know it, but it was, it is, it's massive, particularly focused on um, forests, right? Yeah, forests, wood products. And wood products and things. But they had this idea of having a division or, you know, new business. New business. And so it was, we'll try raising salmon, right? Yep. That was the whole focus. We, or, or aquaculture as a diversification. Yep. And, 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 and our job was to experiment with some of these things. Mm-hmm. And ocean ranching was a concept where you take that behavioral trait mm-hmm. and you, you have a, a, a hatchery. You bring the smolt, which are the fish that at the size where they're ready to go to salt water. Mm-hmm. You rear them for a time uh, at a coastal site, release them, right. and then working on hopefully a percentage that will come back and harvesting them in good condition, and then rather than chasing them around the ocean. Mm-hmm. However... <laughs> so basically, hopefully, releasing enough of them that go out and feed in the ocean so you don't Correct. have to worry about feeding them right. or anything, and then they'll come back to the original yep. source, and then That's right. you, can, you can get them and, again. And you get them at the prime condition, because yep. as they enter back into fresh water, there's some changes from gills to kidneys, etc. It gets a little bit complicated. And they're really not interested in feeding. They're living off the oil, because right. their mission is reproduction. But right. you've got them when they're absolutely the prime beautiful prime yeah, fish. Yeah. 
Norm asked if we would come west, you know, new, newly married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, so we stayed. Um, when I first moved to Miami, I stayed in your parents' house because they had gone back to California for a family thing. And and then we stayed with them when we moved to mm-hmm. uh, Eugene at that point. Mm-hmm. I can remember this is a little bit of a side story, but you know, you always have one of those moments in life which is you feel really powerful. Mm. The fish were returning in good numbers. We had a great run of fish. The Corps of Engineers decided they would dredge the harbor. So the the Pacifica is this dredge and it's just making a mess. And the fish run stopped just like that when that because the water was coming through. All mucky and it just screwed the fish up. I remember calling Portland, getting, and, and this is looking at the dredge while I'm on the phone to the U.S. Department, you know, Corps of Engineers saying, you have just stopped my salmon run. And I am talking to this officer, and I watch that boat turn around and move. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things I moved the U.S. Corps of Army Engineers. <laughs> One of those moments in life. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we had a lot. It was, again, a lot of interesting stuff. And and uh, Norm had come out to New Zealand to do some consulting work and just look at different places. Because mm. uh, he had been to Chile. He had been to New Zealand. Uh, he had been to Iceland. Mm. Uh, or Dick Severson, I think, may have gone to Iceland and looked at different kinds of things. And ran into a, um, um, a company that was looking to develop ocean ranching mm-hmm. in New Zealand and build a hatchery. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, the successful candidate. We got interviewed. Mm-hmm. We got... Um, and this is the intersection of our lives, isn't it? Because right. my father and you, had, you know, f- for a number of roles in a number of different places, yep. work together, which I think is fascinating. We you know, followed each other or chased each other, that's whichever it. was. Yeah, what that's was. right, because you knew each other in the Northwest and then Florida and then back there and then New Zealand of all places. And, and this is the thing about you know who I'm pretty good at working with people, mm. pretty good at getting things done, and, 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 and that you build up this kind of relationship. And I appreciated Norm's leadership. He appreciated my skills and abilities so you kind of draw on who you know mm-hmm. and and that's a lesson in life that you always build on you work with people that you can trust mm-hmm. i became a christian um and your mother was praying for uh the the wife that i would find who was judy who was mm-hmm. a christian and and uh, that's another whole story mm-hmm. so you end up in new zealand yeah um, can you describe because i know you were up at lake coleridge for a while um, yeah, what was going on, and how did you end up there? Because that's pretty remote. It, it is, and uh, when you come to a different country, at least the language is the same, although Kiwis talk pretty fast and uh, still do. Lake Corridge was one of the first hydroelectric stations opened in 1921, still mm. operating, actually. Mm. And there was a um, ponds that had been built. It was called South Pacific Salmon originally, and then it became New Zealand Salmon. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first publicly listed resource-based businesses got into mussels and got into mm. uh, horticulture in, in Gisborne a little bit later. But we're up in, Col- uh, you know, we, we arrive on Waitangi Day, 1984. Right. What is a Waitangi Day? Everything's yeah. closed. <laughs> we're, 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 we're put in this house with um, a crib, a table, our suitcases, and our stuff that came from Oregon had come by a container, including a car and a canoe and household goods because it was cheaper to send a car than to buy one then. And and that didn't arrive until about Easter time or April or something like that. So we lived simply and then we walked down to the hatchery because they expected a good run. We mm. got 800 fish back one day. Mm. And we, had, we took 6 million eggs. And this is what was all, you know, you, you take shareholders or investors up and show them fish coming back like that, and you can see the dollar signs rolling in their <laughs> eyes. Yeah, we didn't have to feed these fish. They're yeah, just the, the, they're coming this, back fully they, grown. <laughs> absolutely going. And then we're, what we were going to do is that build tent burn, which is down at the coast, because mm-hmm. Coleridge is too far up. Right. Coleridge is up the Rakaia, and, oh, we had some ups and downs. And, um, and can I ask you, because... Not everybody's been to Lake Coleridge. I've been there many times, including yep. to visit you, probably yep. in 1984 or something yep. like that. Yep. But it is really remote. You it know, it, there it is, is. There is. There are not many houses there. So what was that like for you? Or was it a bit like 
Washington State and sort of things that you'd experience. No, no, this was a, a an electric department village. Right. The people that lived in the village, except for us, and we were Americans, <laughs> so we were aliens in that sense. They worked at the power station, mm-hmm. a r- variety of, of you know electricians, outside gang, and we were fortunate enough, enough to live next to Brian and Yvonne Taylor, who were still lifelong friends. Um, the kind of people that you'd go to town because in those days, you know, Brighton was open on a Saturday morning till midday, but weekends were closed. Mm. I remember when the first uh, McDonald's came to New Zealand, thinking, "Oh no," <laughs> but here it is. And 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 um, now that was one of the first things that after the COVID thing that people wanted to go eat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so what was that like? Like living isolated like that? Were there things that you learned about yourselves that you wouldn't have in a well? Like we a learned town? that you know life can go on without a whole lot of things because mm-hmm. you know and we, we, it was like a magic Christmas present when all this stuff came back. You know that oh that's our table and that's our chairs and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. Um, but we used to we didn't have television. We and Judy and I didn't have television. For, you know, uh, we'd, we'd watch um, uh, Coronation Street with Brian and Yvonne next door sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and but you know we were radio people, NPR back in Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, Prairie Home Companion, etc. Mm-hmm. You had to order your. We, you know, Judy, we didn't have a car until that first bit. And then, the, the, so that, and then because it was left-hand drive, and it was still, you know, an almost an hour's journey to go to the grocery store, mm. which was a little four-square in Darfield. <laughs> so we had options going to Methven or Darfield. We got involved in a church at Darfield, and that's where we went. Mm. And then uh, gradually, I was spending time going to Tentburn, which is down near Leaston, as we were building the hatchery. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a case of concrete is being you know poured and cured, and fish are being moved and put in. Mm-hmm. We got to punch another well in the ground to get water to keep going, and the, all the pressures of I mean, literally, I, I don't want to say it too many times, but building your bicycle and riding it at the same time and changing tires as you're going, kind right. of thing, and a lot of excitement a, and pre. Um, uh, Stock market crash, 87, getting people ready, a lot of young people adjusting to a new kind of style. Jude still, um, you know, um, in 85, um, we moved to Darfield. Right. And and the company provided the house there. And then we subsequently bought the house off the company, and we still live in that house. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that was where um, um, the other two children came along, and Matt started school, and Jesse and Josh, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but at, but it was you know initially for Judy up there at Coleridge is just being thrown from virtually Miami and then to Oregon, um, which is a little bit um, still more civilized than, but but right out into you know. Mm making some good friends and and uh, sewing and then getting involved with church and then church people becoming you know judith and alistair um and and those people are still pretty precious to us mm. and we still go to that's a darfield baptist church uh, that that we attend you develop surrogate um um uncles and aunts mm-hmm. jeff and helen you you've met them in the past and even doug and ann and they each had three kids and your parents came back and got involved with New Haven salmon down at Owaka, but the Glenavy hatchery was down near Omaru. Mm-hmm. So we'd go down to visit you at Papakayu, mm-hmm. and um, subsequent um, person that I um, became involved with uh, working with SIFT, um, the trust. She she grew up at Papakayu. Yeah, yeah, same class. Same actually. class. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny how our lives, you know, Maria yeah. and. Well, that's why these these interviews are fun for me to do because it's weaving, you know, looking yeah. back at life and realizing how closely we're all connected. That's right. And sometimes we don't realize it, but the person you just met and ordered something from is the son of this person who you knew over here, you know. And I went into the Cashel Rod and Gun um, bought a shirt. Mm-hmm. It was the daughter of. Um, the lilies who were up at Coleridge, ah. and and she re- when I you know when I said my name she recognized the name, right. so we, Katie um, and we, we had a long conversation. But here's another generation of, yeah. and her parents have moved down to um, 
Omaru, hmm. and he's no longer in that in that in that field. But yeah. you know, because we get so caught up in the immediacy of the day, sometimes we forget the span of a lifetime. Yeah, and, and the impact that we can have. And I'm curious for you as well. Let's just run through a bit more of the work that you did, but then also leading up to now, because I'm quite keen to learn about the things that you you know, a lifetime of working. What are some of the things that you look back on and, and reflect on well, and, and would like to share? One of the things is that we, we, we still to this day, and we've been here, what is it, coming up 37 years, the Waitangi Day in mm. New Zealand, we still kick ourselves that we're living in New Zealand. Right. I knew I never wanted to live in Centralia. Mm. I never thought I would uh, marry a girl from Florida. Mm. Um, at, and, and, and we just sit there and how lucky... And, and how amazing it is. Now, there are a lot of things that frustrate you about New Zealand, but it is a great place. Mm. And, and, and there's so many good things. So that's one thing about just how fortunate and unusual that, that we'd come together and be in New Zealand. Mm. And then, um, you know, the salmon stuff in 92, New Zealand Salmon Company could see the difficulty. I, I guess a little bit before that, I got appointed to... Uh, as salmon operations manager, which took over the Stewart Island sea pin. And that's when we got reinvolved, and Norm came back into New Zealand Salmon Company because mm-hmm. we had invested in Chile. Yeah. And I. And this is Peter Townsend as well, right. just to yep. name drop yep. him because he right. was quite influential, I think, in, in bringing my dad into well, that. Norm, so. Peter, and I went to a conference in um, 1987. In Santiago, went down to meet Alfonso right. in Portamont, and that's where you guys wound up going over there and and and, and setting that whole thing up. Uh, and and uh, we we went out to Valparaiso and Viña del Mar, and we went to a restaurant that I th- I think Norm mm. proposed to Marion in, mm-hmm. and the Mater D remembered them. <laughs> Anyway, that's right because they had they had lived there with the peace with the peace corps in the late 1960s. That's right. Yeah, and then and then Pinochet was uh, a dictator, etc., etc. And it was always fun going to Chile because you'd go through Isla de Pascua, Easter Island, Mm -hmm. or you know different ways. But so it was all part of that excitement. We wound up going to Australia to look at Barramundi. Mm -hmm. I went up to Fiji to look up at a place for shrimp, etc. Mm. But Norm was now with New Zealand Salmon Company, mm-hmm. and um, and and we could see the end. It was too difficult mm. uh, for, without getting into massive big cages. And we had had the Hera Sigma bloom in 1988, and it was, and then Hurricane Bola with Gisborne end, and the difficulties of it was just a wise decision to terminate but carry on in chile Mm. so you guys went to chile Mm, yeah and my job finished in april of 92 right i had never had to apply to a i'm 42 years old i think i'd never had to apply for work (laughs) and here i've been working you know all these different opportunities all these different places Mm. and i went through a, a a bit of a patch I, I think out of you know thirty five applications, I got six down to two, and they love me. But right. the other person had a different kind of experience that was more fitting. Mm. Anyway, wound up going to Arana Park, mm. and um, and 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 partly because there was an American there that was, um, and you know i had a good background in natural history i've been a bird watcher and salmon farmer da 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 and so i became the animal manager uh because he went back to uh, texas and we're there for three years and we did a project when you were in high school at middleton of about rhinoceros manure that's right yeah i think i volunteered one holiday to come out and help basically clear up yeah. the fields and things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a really interesting kind of job. Again, I'd really focus on the native wildlife stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there was an opportunity that came up to build a new veterinary clinic at mm-hmm. Darfield mm-hmm. With, a, with a veterinary clinic that was a veterinary club, Malvern Farmers Veterinary Club. Right. So in 95, uh, and no, no, all of a sudden no commuting. 
Judy can go back to school and um, and and get her teaching stuff sorted out, and I can be the parent who is because the clinic was virtually the high school's here, the primary school's here, so I can do all the dad stuff with right. the kids. Yeah, it was great, and and but it was a good challenge of dealing with, um, you know, basically building systems. We went through two computer systems, a health and safety system. Um, the, the 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 clinic was offered to the head vet and I, and we looked. We spent a lot of money looking at it and decided that, you know, she was one of uh, Julie Wagner was one of the you know premier vets for deer and pig. Um, but but I would have to make up my side of the um, income from uh, over the counter sales, and there was a lot of competition. There were like eight different outlets, etc. And we both opted that it wasn't the mm-hmm. idea. So we, we passed on that. I then became, um, I instantly had a job. Again, I didn't have to apply for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at Pacific Vet as a business manager mm-hmm. and was there for a year and then they restructured. So New Zealand Salmon Company restructuring, Vet Club restructuring, mm-hmm. business um, mm-hmm. um manager at Pacific Vet Restructuring. So can I just ask you a question? Because you mentioned when you were 42, you were applying for the jobs and things. Yeah. You know, clearly that was a, probably a difficult time. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting time. <laughs> it's a good word, isn't it? Um, but what? just thinking about the listeners and some of them maybe going through similar types of things, particularly right now with COVID and, and that type of thing, have you got any reflections or advice well, for people I, about... When you get past 40, it's a different scenario and 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 I think we hear a lot about the next gen, which is probably a, even a generation clicked out. But uh, what I would call people that in forty wasn't so bad now, but there are a lot of people in the current situation from COVID or even before COVID, fifty year olds that are restructuring, uh, and and you know skilled people. How do you find a new job? Mm. Um, how do you um, how do you gear yourself back for that kind of thing? And and that was a bit of a worry because you know you, you used to, I'd always been able I never had to apply there was always opportunity so you send a letter you don't hear anything mm-hmm. you send a letter you're 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 in in six cases you're down to two one of two yeah but they don't they don't go you they like you but somebody has got more skill mm-hmm. and you go with that that's a little bit rough mm-hmm. but but you learn to get through that and but redundancy. I mean, I'm lucky because redundancy um, has always been financially beneficial in terms of the severance, et cetera, and a chance to refocus mm. and, 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 and get out. But it forces you into what do I want to do, mm. uh, which is still a question, you know, and I'm confronting that now <laughs> with, with, with retirement in a way. But, but something pops up. And there is an opportunity, and you take it, and you build on it, mm. and you go forward. So is it having the eyes to look for the opportunities, and it doesn't have to meet exactly what you have in mind? Is yeah, that, well, you know, I, like the vet opportunity, that's quite different to what you'd been doing, but it is related. It is animal you know, health. Yeah, exactly. So you can see the, the jump yeah. there. But I remember going to my first NZVA conference. And we became friends, but there's a vet from Lincoln. I think he's retired by now. But I'm sitting in this room with all these other vets, and he goes, you're the only non-vet in this room. Why are you here? And whoa, <laughs> talk about everybody's looking at you. And, and I came up with a pretty good answer because my job is to make my vet's job easier. Right. Because there weren't many practice managers then. Mm. I was one of the first non-vet practice managers, mm-hmm. or so I was told. And we developed a really good um, kind of rapport, and, uh, um, and, and and I learned a lot doing that, managing professionals. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, back in the salmon days, I'd gone to Alaska to interview, looking for new staff. I'd interviewed PhDs. Mm-hmm. You know, here I have a BA in anthropology, <laughs> and I'm interviewing a PhD in, in fishery science. He'll know more about science, but he's absolutely useless because of the practical element of that. So mm. what I learned that being a generalist is not a bad thing. Mm. Going to university um, and just learning how to research, learning how to get things done, learning how to work with people, learning how to present yourself. Because at, at, the, at, the, 
at the vet, I had some great times. Mm. I see Jason Gunn around, and we still go. I used to do a thing with what now? Bring an animal in, and and you, you meet you meet that. Uh, doing the presentation skills of taking people around the zoo and showing them uh, what was being done and having people still say, where's that American guy five years after you've gone kind of thing. Yeah. And you hear stories about that and kind of, well, I did a good job on that. Yeah. So maybe your tip number 21 for your list should be something about generalism is okay. Yeah, you know, tip be 21. <laughs> be, don't be afraid of being a generalist. Yeah. Because, you know, we need engineers, but engineers and biologists or fish culturists look at the world. Engineers got to solve problems, hmm. and they'll focus their entire thing. And innovators, this is another tip number 22, innovators need others. Hmm. When you're building a business, you need to get more, uh, you need to be able to identify the things that you don't know how to do, but find the people that can supplement those gaps. Yeah. And I like what you said, sort of the word picture of you're on a bicycle and you're changing the tire while you're riding. Yeah, you know, like down the, a steep the skills hill. Of, yeah, exactly. The, the actual... In traffic. Like the practical, <laughs> um, getting your PhD and the academic side of things, that's, that's one thing. But actually in the field... I mean, I, don't get me wrong, we need academics. Mm. But academics get their wheels spun by publishing, by research, by the esteem of their... There are not many Keith Alexanders mm -hmm. in, 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 in the world. And, and probably I think all my friends that are academics at UC and Lincoln are probably cringing. Shut that guy up. <laughs> but they, they, it, is, it is a really unique mix that can take an innovation mm -hmm. and drive it forth to form a company. It, it's possible. And a lot of Kiwis have done some of that stuff. I mean, um, uh, again, I guess it's another maybe 25. Maybe I should add more is that... New Zealanders are probably some of the best optimizers and problem solvers on the planet. On the planet. Mm. These are in general. This comes back to my collaboration. But we're not that good at extracting the value back from that productivity. Mm. We're getting better. And I always encourage my clients, um, or did encourage, to look at Sir Paul Callahan's YouTube, March 2011. That guy outline it's still valid today even though he's gone and we are what nine years into the mission mm. of really building on what we're good at and really focusing on that and and, and bring it not just giving it away mm -hmm. not sending kiwi fruit to chile not doing this not doing that and Zesper has done a great job with marketing chile but collaboration is really really important i don't want to sound even in the twilights of my working days to be super critical but there there are so many things that are so wonderful about this environment mm -hmm. and so many things that are frustrating and the in collaboration we just need to encourage it mm -hmm. being a generalist has actually been a real benefit to me yeah because i can i know a little about a lot that may sound arrogant but it, i don't necessarily have to know the details of an electrical circuit with some of my clients but I can see things that they can't, and I can help them extend the value. Mm -hmm. And that's been the exciting thing about working with people and being able to get things done. And I kind of work on a, uh, on a position, or I have worked, that sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Never break the rules. Always be, you know, integrity, honesty, reliability, courtesy are really key features. Just don't give up. Mm. if it gets too hard mm. well can i ask you some questions because we kind of brought ourselves up to now yeah, where we of. are um can i just ask in because when i look at you it seems like you're having fun and that was one of the 20 principles that you said and i think sometimes as business people you know professionals getting involved in things we kind of lose that element of fun. But I heard you at a Ministry of Awesome talk, I think you came out dressed as oh, uh, yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, or, or, you know, like you were clearly just playing a bit as well. You know, it, it isn't all seriousness. Can you describe a little bit about the origins of that realization and how do you keep things fresh or, or fun? Well, it, it, it's a, that's why I like children's books. Mm. Like, what do you do with an idea? What do you do with a problem? What do you do with a chance available at Scorpio Bookshop mm. or Addington Coffee Co-op? Talk to Bruce. 
um, it it those things are so clear. And then the, the, that that Obi Wan thing was a ministry of awesome thing that Marion had asked mm-hmm. that uh, I had uh, I had to do a quick replacement. So I thought of movie lines applicable to business. Mm-hmm. And I guess the thing there, and I was played around with lightsaber and I with my Jedi bathrobe, and you, you go through and you pick up, you know, mm, failure the best teacher is, you know, those kind of things. And, and you know, we get to an age that you don't really care what people think. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, you want people to like you. But you do learn that a novel way of presenting something captures attention. Right. And another link now, I'm working with Joris de, de Volt, um, who is going to be filling in behind you know, what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. And, and he reminded me that I read What Do You Do With an Idea at Business Dojo to him and six other young other guys. And it was interesting. You know, just to, so he remembered that. Right. Uh, the UCE sometimes, they remember... Those I've read children's books there, and you you mm-hmm. do, you know. It's just sometimes um, we tried to adapt in our time at at Arana Park, a real interactive learn how to feed off the audience, mm-hmm. and 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 useful in terms of whether it's a quirky kind of a, you know. I guess some people might think it's a bit of prima donna ishness, a wee bit, and I guess you got to not get carried away, but. A, a novel way of presenting things, you know, I think does have uh, a more impact, and you'll get people that will will say, "Wow, that was good," or yeah. "I remember well, I, you." I agree with you, and, and the thing is, if you slide a PowerPoint presentation or you know black and white paper, like here's the information, as opposed to engaging yeah. and telling stories and showing yeah. pictures and having props, you know, like. Yeah. It's definitely more memorable. Well, uh, your podcasts are, are you know, in- engaging. Your presentations are around it. Mm-hmm. No, I forget the one on Wilson's Road there, but, mm-hmm. you know. Exchange. Exchange, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- those are memorable. People appreciate that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and, and th- those are the things you learn. Um, and, and and it's just, it's practice. There's real, uh, and, and I guess, and maybe this is number, you know, 25, is that the secret of of really engaging with people on business advice mm. is to just be you challenge them in a positive way you know they're 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 calling the shots so if they want to do it that way that's what you got to try to do mm-hmm. but give that that all of really trying to and just being able to listen i've really enjoyed working with various businesses on various projects in various fields on totally interesting things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can get caught up in the enthusiasm um, with that, but sometimes you can lead them to places and challenge them to places that um, they hadn't thought of. Mm. And that's where I say that innovators need others. Mm. You, you, and, and there's never enough market validation. That's always something that we have to remind people about. Because yeah. creators are creators. And they can get so caught up. And I can think of examples, but you certainly wouldn't go through and outline what they are. Yeah. But, but engineers can be so wrapped up in the design and the tinkering mm. that they'll never get it out of that phase mm. unless somebody shakes them. Mm. And even then, it can be hard. Mm. And let's just give a shout out as well to the chamber. Oh, it's yeah. The Kennedy Employees Chamber of Commerce. And, and you've been there for quite a while now, right? Well, 14 years full time, 15. The beauty of working with the likes of Peter, Leanne, and Michaela. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've really appreciated, particularly about Peter, is that you've been given an opportunity to create your own space. Mm-hmm. And you work within that. Uh, and, and Callahan's been. You know, obviously, public money, you've got rules you got to follow, but they have enabled us to help with that as well mm-hmm. and by, by helping money. And, and we're not trying to sell something. Mm. We're trying to give away mm-hmm. um, linkages, knowledge, advice, and, more, and, and obviously mm. funding to and help them. And, and I think you've had, a, well, you've had dozens, hundreds of interviews and people come seeking advice, seeking support, seeking funding and things. I'm just curious, what would be 
the number one question that you ask someone, like the, the technical engineer who's got this great concept and idea, how do you help them? Yeah, what's, what's the key point that you try to get across in those first meetings? Well, oh gosh, that's kind of, kind of, because there's several kind of things. What do they want out of it? Mm. Where do they want to go with it? Right. Where are you going to be in five years? Yeah. Um, and then have you done market validation? Mm. Do you really, um, and, and it's been tough with, you know, particularly digital R because, you know, there is little that is absolutely brand new in that space. It's clever configuration. So trying to work them through that. But it's really um, getting them to see the value in what it is they're doing, mm. but not uh, in in the lens of how it fits into what can be done within the framework that we have. Mm. Um, and not to be so pie in the sky, um, uh, which is good. We need those people. But you got to help kind of bring them back to earth. Mm. And, and a lot of it is that you want to create market pull rather than product push. Right. Number 26. Yeah, yeah. Probably should keep going. We got to, yeah, we got to keep going. We have to redo yeah. the other yeah. one. <laughs> and there'll be, and, and I think the whole covert thing has has put people into, and I guess that's one of the things they brought up, you can be productive anywhere. People have really learned that you don't have to go to work. You don't have to dress up. Mm. You don't have to uh, travel and, and, you know, I mean, there is, don't get me wrong, there is importance about a culture and being able to bounce off one another. So it, I'm not saying that that getting, um, you know, being a hermit and working from home only mm-hmm. is the way to go. Some people, it may be. That has taught us at the chamber that we can create podcasts that are of value. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fantastic to see the... Um, the responses and some of the the feedback and, and early some of the calls, you know, the chamber is one of the, has a helpline that anything to do with COVID, call the chamber, three six six five zero nine six. There will be somebody there, in the ER, in the HR, and the capability voucher area, and the training area, in the event area, in the communications area and the business advocacy area and the networking area that can help you. Mm. I mean, the chamber is a real hidden gem. Mm. And um, Well, what we'll do is in, we'll, in the show notes, we'll put links so people can find out more. Yeah. Um, I want to turn the conversation sure. slightly because I do have a question for you, okay. which is, and I talked with Ellie, my wife, about this last night because I told her we were going to have a chat, and she said, I asked her what her question would be for you. <laughs> and she said... She is really curious about your family culture. In other words, you've got three kids. We've mentioned that before. And she feels like when she looks at Jess and Matt and Josh and just the dynamic of your family and also that the close-knit nature of your family, you know, that you guys get together a lot when you can. I know Matt's in Southeast Asia right now. But um, can you just describe, was that a conscious choice of building up a family culture of a certain kind? Or how would you respond to that? Well, Judy was an amazing and is an amazing mother. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the nurturing and, 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 and all that. I mean, she is an amazing woman when it comes to motherhood and nurturing children. Mm-hmm. I, I think I tried to replicate a wee bit in terms of what our parents did, my parents in particular, mm-hmm. of creating opportunities. Right. And I think that's really important. But making them feel inclusive and trying to build that kind of, you know, not only, you know, I mean, every relationship has its ups and downs and, 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 and you'll have disagreements, etc. But you always come back and you express that love for one another in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the group around you is, is, is fundamental towards, you know, the inclusiveness and, and being able to share and listen and spend time. In some ways, I, 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 I wonder, could I have done it better? Then Matt told me one time that, and this is, you know, kind of gets to you, that when you say, if ever I need anybody, you are the person I want to have there. Mm. To have your son say that to you is pretty, pretty special. Mm. Jesse, uh, I mean, there's always something about father-daughter kind of thing that's mm. just really precious. 
and um, and 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 Josh, I always feel a little bit bad that I didn't have as much opportunity with with him because work was was difficult. But then work too. I guess this is the thing you resent about the, all the excitement and travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I can remember the the first trip to Chile was five weeks after Jessica was born, mm-hmm. and when you have to call Jude and say, "I need to stay another week," mm-hmm. that is not a good <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we've 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 taken them places. We've done things. We've showed them things. We've shared our passions and enthusiasms. We've listened to them. We've, um, I mean, I was a real um, boisterous um, uh, supporter when Jesse was playing netball. I'm running around the go go hustle hustle hustle. <laughs> Everybody's looking at get that guy out of here. But but I guess it also feels good that her friends call us um and and when burn came on the scene you know it just was like bring him in and you know tane and and um and hannah which are really his good friends up there and his brother uh campbell and and beth his mom um you know and but all jesse's really close friends and all through high school they called me popsy which is the term that my kids call me Mm -hmm. and it just we did so it sounds like it's a, a lot of stuff. Just welcoming, welcoming yeah. in, looking for opportunities, yeah. and, and um, supporting them no matter what. But but treating them, um, I mean, they're children, um, calling them up when they need to be, but treating them on kind of as much an equal basis as you can. Mm. Um, but you know, we we and being part of it and being available. Mm. So yeah, oh, that's really good. And what people don't know who are listening to this right now is that we've also recorded a short little episode, which was your 20 lessons learned. Yeah, right? and we just added a few more from that. But yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> going to be an ongoing project, right? Yeah, and even, um, but I'm really excited about looking forward. Going forward, I'm doing some work with Central Plains uh, uh, Water Trust, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I've always been interested in that. I got involved in. Uh, the township committee and the community board, you know, based on that years mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be working on my photography. I'm going to give myself a break, and, and there might be some consulting opportunities that come up, you know, maybe look for another directorship, mm-hmm. that kind so, of thing. So you're approaching the future with this attitude of yeah. Where is the opportunity? Yeah, right? look, look for options. Yeah, always yeah. try to have options. Yeah, and you know if opportunities out there, and uh, being a little bit more parsimonious with time, I thought I, I would oh get involved in this, get involved in that. Um, I did apply for the electoral commission to see if you know might help out with the election, mm-hmm. um, just for something to. And then I thought, wow, maybe uh, taking it from somebody else that might need it. A bit more than I might, but but I thought it might be an interesting experience, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not going to make a career out of it, obviously. But um, one of the points that we made earlier, and and I, I've I've felt this in my time as community board chair and, and community not not or sorry township chair, is it's always good to leave a place better than you find it, mm-hmm. and work towards trying to do that mm-hmm. a wee bit. So. And I think that may kind of continue, um, mm. yeah, without sounding too self-promoting, I guess. It's just, you know, having the confidence and I guess relaying the confidence that the people that are going to be picking it up mm. are going to do it. They're going to do it differently than you did it, mm. but it's still going to get done. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, y- you could walk out today and get hit by a bus mm. and things would still get done. Yeah. So, you, you, uh, and I guess it's, you, there's a bit of, it's a principle, actually. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Absolutely, right? <laughs> and 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 that's been a struggle sometimes, yeah. you know, because we've done such a, and this will sound a bit. We've done we've done good things, mm. um, and 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 but but you got to avoid that arrogance, and I hope mm. that isn't, you know, you you still have to be humble, mm. and 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 carry on. But I learned from Harlan Freeman, who uh, I remember going clear back to when I first came on with. Norm, he he died of pancreatic cancer, and I remember we I was with Norm in the hospital mm. in Seattle, and C said, delegation creates opportunity for everybody. Right, and I've never forgotten that mm. because it 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 does give the people that you're working with a chance. They're going to do it differently. 
They're going to make a mistake, but they're going to learn mm -hmm. using Yoda's thing. If they're good, they'll never make the same mistake twice. And as long as no one is, nothing is seriously broken, you know, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But, and it creates opportunity for you as that manager to do other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working yourself out of a job um, is an interesting process. Mm -hmm. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, I know you've got, um, you, you take these beautiful photos of birds and nature. I'm and still learning how to do that. You're though. still learning. <laughs> it, well, what we'll do is we'll put some links and things so people yep. can find that as well. Yep. And um, no, that's great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And like we said at the start, our lives have intersected yeah. and woven together over the years, you know. So it's been really fascinating to hear about your childhood, you know, exploring beavers and getting in i can see where the seeds of what you be, have done with your life were easy you know that was clearly a start wasn't it with your father and then also just hearing about your varied career because you've done a number of different things and i think that's actually encouraging for people listening because it's not like the olden days of you sit at your desk for all this time yep. you know you've worked with in the veterinary practice you've worked with Callahan, you've worked at Arena Park, you know, you've worked with Salmon. It's been a really varied career, so it's been really great to hear. And um, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on oh, the show. Oh, no, and thank you for that, and all the best. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob. As you could tell, I've known Rob for a very long time, so it was really fun to reflect with him on his journey. If you enjoyed this, then you might want to check out some of the other interviews in the back catalog as well. Until next time.